0: Hi, everybody. It's Peter Bassler with ESEC Lending here for another episode of ESEC Lending Insights with my friends and colleagues and co hosts, Brooke Gilman and Jim Maroney. How's it going, guys? Good. Good. That's it? Come on. I need not, something more than that.
1: Not that great. I am sitting in a powerless home. We have no like- power. Don't have power.
2: Are we on battery right now
1: with you? Yeah, I'm good for what looks like another 48 minutes, and then everything dies. I am slinging off my phone to my PC. It's really windy here in the South Coast, and I took a drive to Dunks to get a coffee because I can't start my day without a coffee, and it took an hour and a half for me to go to Dunkin' Donuts and back because of all the downed trees and roads that were closed, and it was a game of Frogger getting home.
2: Do you not have coffee in your house? I this do. You I coffee. You I'm getting one.
0: I'm getting a coffee. Power.
2: Right. Okay. Yeah. But do you really call it dunks like on a regular basis rather than Dunkin' Donuts?
1: I guess I do. But do you think that's really that abnormal for somebody who lives in Massachusetts to call it dunks?
2: I don't. I just wanted to highlight that you are from Massachusetts and you call it dunks to the rest of our global listener community. So Perfect. that was really, that was really the whole purpose that. of my comment.
0: I've never heard it called that just for the record.
2: Yeah. I don't know that I have either, but Uh,
0: neither of you live in my state. So yes. Wow. All right. Great. I have
2: power. So that's my good news.
0: Too. I have power and coffee. (laughs) So thanks everyone for joining. You know, this is something Jim at one point said to us, let's do this weekly. This is awesome. Let's do this weekly. And so that was probably about a month and a half ago. And also the the last time
2: Jim was in a happy mood.
0: Yeah. And Jim cancels it all the time. So I just want people to know the reason we don't have weekly is because of Jim. Mm -hmm.
2: The reason that we're finally getting to do it again today is because this is another day that Jim is in a positive, happy mood.
0: What's making Jim happy is our auction results. So that's a good thing. That's a good thing for us. That's a good thing for our clients. And it's a good thing for Jim's emotional state. So we'll celebrate that right off the bat. That's
1: what I always tell the brokers, listen, you need to pay me more. Otherwise, I'm going to be grumpy and you do not want to deal with me grumpy. So it's worked for 20 years, so I'm going to
0: keep it up. So with that, Jim, tell us what's going on. What's the view from your perspective?
1: Almost November 1st, the directional market, the kind of flow that we see remains exactly the same as it was last time we recorded a podcast. It's driven by corporate events and the like. But what has changed is we are rolling through our auction season, as you know, Peter, and have had pretty good results, specifically in Asia. We just had a number of surprise bids and participation in a handful of markets. Most notably is South Korea. We just auctioned a nice piece of South Korea, both large and small cap split apart, and saw bids for the small cap and not the large cap, which is interesting because the large cap is all that can be shorted. At the moment, there's still a short sale ban on the small caps. However, we saw two bids on the small caps. One was 75% of what we saw at the high when South Korea was fully open in lending. So pretty excited that people are back in that market from an exclusive perspective willing to take a punt for a year. So I think good things are to come in South Korea. And it has now begun that transition. We've been saying it's discretionary assets in South Korea since COVID. And now we're transitioning back. I think it is probably going to do well in the next year in auctions. So that was good. We saw fantastic bids in a lot of the smaller frontier markets, Malaysia and Thailand in particular. Taiwan, we only auctioned one small piece. It was not a good sample set. Taiwan actually happens in the spring for us for the most part, but still seeing really, really strong performance, both in discretionary and as we roll through the auctions and the participation in the relative bids. So pretty excited about that. Europe and the US still a little bit relatively flat. I will say what I think is happening in Asia is while you can't predict where the corporate events and that value comes from you can look at an asset type and say large and mid caps typically is where you'll see corporate events spawn from. I think people are willing now, there's such meaningful revenue there, willing to put a premium on a portfolio and buy it in hopes that m comes from that portfolio. So I think that plus broad GCE shorting have added to the premiums and participation. So that's a good thing from our perspective. There's always the bid for intrinsic and the small caps, but once you start to see Brokers, possible owners of portfolios for a year buying at a level that includes GC revenue and that includes revenue for potential corporate events, that means you're getting full value. So we're excited about that. And
2: And, everything you were just referring to still is across the Asian markets, correct?
1: Yeah, we're seeing it less so in Europe and spring is our U.S. auction season. But I would anticipate if we do some U.S. auctions, which I think we have a couple coming up, right, Brooke, in January. Yep. We'll see if the market changes between now and January. It typically does through do the turn. But if it doesn't, it would probably be softer than we'd hope and not as strong as Asia. But Asia's been strong for us for five years. And so when Asia got soft, everything else fell soft. And so maybe Asia's coming back, and that means everything else will chase it up. We'll see.
2: So in the last month, Jim, we've done auctions both versus cash profiles, as well as non-cash inclusive of equities as collateral profiles, you know, but similar, arguably different portfolios. So there are always are variables there, but similar market exposure. What would you say just again, continuing to beat the drum on the collateral flexibility theme, what would you remark on the differences between the two auctions given collateral flexibility?
1: Yeah, non-cash specifically in Asia and Europe is without question the preference for borrowers. And so portfolios and lenders of ours get reputations based on collateral types. And so I think if you're cash only, you have a reputation. If you flip over to non-cash and cash, that reputation changes and every year participation will grow and grow and grow. And so there are certain borrowers who target those portfolios because of the behavior of the lender in the collateral space, meaning they'll grow collateral sets with the market and they show behavioral change that is in line with what they think they need going forward. The drum I beat is just flexibility, collateral flexibility. So if it's just take a step forward and it is bit by bit grows your reputation and thus grows your lending revenue.
2: So what you're saying is borrowers will form an opinion, not just on what someone's collateral schedule is presented at a particular point in time, but you're saying that borrower's form of view based upon whether that collateral schedule remains stagnant or whether it changes with the changing trends in the market, I guess, is sort of what that comment is, correct?
1: Yep. Yeah. And they take their cue from the lender, from us in this case. So if somebody is cash only for a decade and they suddenly take G10 debt and they say they're looking at other things, that's a big change. We market that to the street. We say, listen, this is how they're behaving. They are changing with the market. And it changes instantly and then grows, builds off itself. So yeah, I think that's fair to say.
0: I have another quick question, Jim. So on the borrower participation, I know we often talk about in an exclusive, the year that follows, if it worked for the borrower, they're not going to want to lose that supply, right? So they're potentially incentivized to bid strongly again. How have these recent auctions seen the incumbent versus new borrowers play as far as winners? Yep.
1: Incumbents are always the strongest for that reason. When you see new entrants sometimes into certain markets or asset types, they nibble at first, they'll come in with a throwaway bid, get a feel for it. And then year after year, auction after auction, from our perspective, the bids get stronger until they become an incumbent. And then once they have it, they keep it. Generally, what leads to an incumbent losing, you know, knowing the market, not bidding enough to keep it is a change in their platform, their business, who they house from the short perspective, what's important to them. So it's not knowing the market, typically, unless we see that flyer bid auction theory. Auction theory never works better than it does in Asia. So you just see it's a very competitive marketplace uh, market or an asset class or a combination of markets. They get very aggressive. And so when there's one, two, three, four people bidding on it, auction market theory takes off. We've seen that in the fall. Hence my good mood.
0: Can I ask you another question about Asia? In those markets where it's non-standard kind of settlement situations like Taiwan and Malaysia, mm-hmm. do exclusives there work better because of that dynamic? And does that help drive exclusive pricing in auctions?
1: It does, yeah. So long as there's pre-notification in those markets where it's required, definitely makes a big difference. And there are bars who are focused on those difficult ID markets will buy exclusives. And I think that you can say that broadly, whether it's from us or from others or direct They buy exclusives. It's very important that you have stable supply in that market and you can build a business off of that. Whereas if you're just borrowing from the street, so guys who are active in our discretionary book in those regions and in those difficult markets, but don't buy exclusives, that gives us an indication that those are generally not big players. They might be on lending that stock. And so it helps us make determinations as to who we lend to, who's going to be an end user, and who is staying in the middle and kind of taking a piece of of revenue that we should otherwise be grabbing for our lenders and ourselves. Another piece of information that comes from an auction and comes from an auction platform that you wouldn't otherwise have, which is understanding tendencies of borrowers and knowing exactly who they are in the market and user pass through just a temporary player.
0: Talk to me about corporate bonds. I know we often just get focused on equities, but any comments on, The corporate bond sector, whether that's investment grade, high yield, etc. Yeah, I think
1: I just wrote a piece for you, a little something for you, Brooke, on corporate bonds. And I was doing Ah. some research. Yeah, they're broadly shorted. And you know, high yield is expensive. The spreads to treasuries is expensive as Treasuries, the 10-year Treasury goes from, speaking, I guess, just about the US here at first, goes from 1% to 70. That if you don't see a backup in yields on high yield, you don't see prices fall spreads are getting tighter. And so that's what's happened. So I think they make for a good short here. The problem with generating revenue from corporate bond books is that it's mostly a GC market. You have many places, somebody who issues bonds typically has a curve of bonds, twos to thirties, if they can issue them. And so if it's too expensive to get short one part of the curve, you find a way to get short another part of the curve and you have to cover the coupons when you're short a bond. So people will short corporate bonds and there's a lot of revenue generated there from GC and warm names, but you don't really see the super specials like you might see in the equity space. But I think we're at the beginning of a cycle where corporate bonds are going to be in demand, both high yield and investment grade, I believe. But you know it's kind of splitting hairs, investment grade, once they're heavily shorted, generally become junk bonds anyway. But yeah, it's, it's an active space. We have folks dedicated to it both here and in Asia. And I think we're going to continue to see a shift from, in no small measure, because of the retail short squeeze, we're going to see a shift from getting shorter credit in the equity space to getting shorter credit in the fixed income space over the next, say, year or two. The net of that for a balanced, fixed and equity portfolio lender, the net of that is probably positive.
0: Another thing we saw, Jim, this past week or the week before was the first ETF with crypto, right? Pro Pro <laughs> shares. out a crypto ETF. Any thoughts on that ETF specifically or crypto generally in our market?
1: So the ETFs that have come to the market, I think it was last Tuesday, we've seen locates, we don't have any supply. It's really, really early innings, first inning, maybe second inning on that. So I would suspect you'd see a lot of activity from a borrowing perspective with an ETF that tracks crypto. It'll be inherently very volatile. And so people will take punts. And how our clients get exposure to crypto if they want it? How do they get it? Do they get it through ETFs? I don't know. So we'll have to see whether it's a market that agent lenders play in depending on who holds it and how they hold it. Crypto itself, you know, I can see over the next five years having conversations about crypto as collateral, but maybe it's even sooner than five years. I don't know. But to this point, it's just been a fun talking point, nothing more. You will see as they securitize and issue ETFs that you know, Right now, they're tracking crypto futures, and so that's a little bit different. There's slippage tracking error there, so I'm not sure people will use it right away, but we'll see. It's a potential new special for us, Peter, is kind of how we look at those ETFs as they come.
2: And so, Jim, on the special side of things, I know the outset of this conversation today and for the past... Number of podcasts now, you've been saying that there's just a lack of specials in the market and that it's super thin, and that really the revenue is being driven by these corporate event capital raising deal names. Do you, at this point, we're now almost early November, do you have any forward looking vision changes? Should we be optimistic for next year? Do you feel like there's anything that's yet showing you signs that that may change and that we might see a deepening of the specials market? going forward? Or do you think it's just too early still to tell? I mean, obviously, all of the comments you're making around the auctions still was talking about people placing greater value on the GC names in large part because of the hope and anticipation of capital raising events or more deals occurring in that space. It wasn't necessarily that you were saying, you know, because they think the specialist market's going to really pick back up in a meaningful way. But Mm -hmm. do you have have views on that?
1: Not really. I think we have to wait until January comes, see what that brings, see if it changes the tendencies of the hedge funds in terms of putting on some long shorts, paired shorts, or just outright directional shorts. In large part, I think the funds take their cue from the economy and uh, inflation and where we're headed in the US and in Europe in terms of corporate growth. And so if that looks to falter for one reason or the other, I think my view will come from the hedge funds changing behavior. So I don't really have a view just because it's been status quo for the last couple of months. I had anticipated a little bit of activity here in October and November because nobody's really made their numbers and reached their high watermark or not nobody, but many in the long, short space haven't. But we haven't seen anything like them chasing revenue just to make some money in the last two months of the year.
2: You think you have to get past year end before you're likely to see any real change? Okay.
1: I do. Yeah, I do. I do, sadly. But plenty else going on. Besides directional shorts.
2: I'm not trying to change your mood, just to be clear. I just was wondering if your vision was likely to change anytime soon.
1: An IPO came this week or last week called Cocoa, which is a coconut water company. If something's going to screen market top, an IPO for a coconut water company has to do it. So uh, I don't know, maybe we brighter days for the VIX and bouncing off this hovering in the 15 to 17 range for the last forever, it feels like. So
2: well, Jim, it also could be that someone that commonly refers to their coffee place as dunks just isn't the right market segment profile to appreciate coconut water.
1: I've been told that. I've been told the West Coast drinks a lot of coconut water. So
2: yes, I think the West Coast does consume and probably many other areas throughout the globe consumes. Look, it looks like Bowser might drink. By the way, by the water.
0: way, I put coconut water in my smoothies. Sounds about right.
2: Here, there you go.
0: <laughs> it works well. So by the way, we should wrap it up because we don't want to make this too long, but what's the call on whether there's a podcast next week? I commit here and now to it for me, for my side.
2: You guys know I'm always committed. I like, you know, I breathe committed.
0: All right. We will have a podcast next week. Okay. There you go. It's on the
1: record. The weekly has begun. Yeah.
2: The nice thing is, Peter, we're going to be able to play that back to him when he canceled on us next week. So it'll be satisfying.
0: Sorry. No room to wait. Nice work, Peter. It'll be after Jim is down in Florida playing golf again. So he should be in a good mood again next week. And I too will be in a good mood because I have a redo of my 50th birthday party celebration this weekend in Brooklyn.
2: You do? I really think that my invitation probably was lost in the mail or they lost on the internet.
0: You were tier three. So it would take a while to get to you. But you're on the list that matters.
2: Yeah, I don't, if I can't, no, if I'm on tier three, then you might as well just take me off because I don't play in that tier.
0: (laughs) It's an exclusive club. It's not a lot of people. I can't wait to see Brooklyn, Peter. That'll be fun. And
2: yeah, and how come, since when did you become hip that you're having a birthday party in Brooklyn?
0: I have coconut water in my smoothies. I mean, come on. I'm actually not even just in Brooklyn. I'm in Dumbo, okay, which is even more hip part of Brooklyn. Google it, Brooke. Anyway... (laughs) Thanks everyone for joining again. Hopefully you got something out of it and we're slightly entertained. We will be back next week as we've all committed to, hopefully with some new ideas, new thoughts to keep you interested next week as well. Thanks everybody. All right,
2: friends. Thank you. Thank you. Bye guys.